Hi, you're listening to the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that exclusively brings insights from the Indian space activities ecosystem. I'm your host Narayan, the co-founder of India's first space-focused think tank, Spaceport Sarabhai. Guests on the New Space India podcast help you understand space activities related macro and micro trends within India in all aspects including space history, local industry, space science, technology evolution, law and policy, art and more. The New Space India podcast is supported by Dassault Systems, a global leader in providing businesses and people with collaborative virtual environments to enable sustainable innovations. Dassault Systems Solutions supports startups, small and medium scale enterprises and original equipment manufacturers in developing disruptive solutions for space launchers and satellites. Uh, nice to be participating in this uh, very interesting uh, project started by our dear friends Dr. Narayan Prasad and his colleagues. Uh, see, basically, I am a geologist. I come from a small village in Western Ghats. Uh, have the privilege of uh, becoming the first postgraduate in entire grama. You know, India is made out of 250 gramas or so. I was the first postgraduate and uh, why I studied geology is also pretty interesting. When I went to college, when I opted to study geology, the lecturers or teachers were surprised that you can get either physics or mathematics. Why do you want to study geology? By then I had heard that if I secure good, good marks in BSc, I can get scholarship to study masters. Otherwise, I don't think my father was in a position to support. So I did well, I got scholarship and came out with first rank to the university. I got too many jobs in Hindustan Zinc, ONGC, State Mines and Geology Department. But then when I studied applied geology, two subjects attracted my attention a lot. One is photogeology. That is, uh, you know, how do you make sense out of aerial photographs? Another one was airborne geophysics. In that, there was one section on conducting aerial surveys for mineral exploration. So those two remained in my mind too much. But much, much hesitantly, I joined the state mines and geology department. I was into groundwater. But uh, interestingly, I was also greatly attracted to working underground because I have worked 7,600 feet below the ground in Kolar gold mines for a month. So with all this uh, funny thing, uh, I worked for two weeks in the mines and geology department, Karnataka. And the same time I had one offer with National Remote Sensing Agency that is advertisement number one bar 1975, the first advertisement where they wanted to recruit some research fellows for conducting airborne geophysical service. But I found the offer letter was from Kaveri Bhavan in Bangalore. I went and met the director who was sitting here, Wing Commander K.R. Rao. You know, because the contract said you can't publish anything, you can't reveal what you are doing. I said, then what kind of research fellow you are? I went and told, he said, this is a new organization going to have a great future. And we have 5 lakhs 
sanctioned by the government. Five lakhs was a big money for conducting aerial surveys for mineral exploration. And uh, 1972, uh, the Macfar Company in Canada had conducted some airborne surveys in different mineral belts of India under a project called Operation Hard Rock. They had junked those equipments in Safdarjung Airport, and an aircraft which was modified for agricultural aviation, a DHC-2 De Havilland Beaver aircraft, three-seater, was also available. So uh, I found it's a very, very challenging offer. So just four guys, you know, joined. I was one of those four. Joined NRSA at its birth, okay. But then, you know, seeing an aircraft was a thrill, and getting the aircraft ready was a thrill. And uh, my good colleagues were not familiar with uh, writing a letter to a foreigner because we had to write a letter, and you know, an airmail letter I wrote to. some contact in macfar company one fine day he landed and fixed everything okay hardly hardly any aircraft you know other side we used to see sanjay gandhi and dhirendra brahmachari flying in delhi flying club and this side our beaver flying with some all funny uh, bird we used to call you know the sensor which keeps hanging and all so slowly slowly what happened is uh, nobody was ready to take up airborne navigation I was asked. I I got ready. I said I I am ready to f- learn flying also. I am ready to do navigation also. So I came to Bangalore, took training in research flight facility at HAL in airborne navigation. I mean, uh, the Karnataka governor Prabhashankar Dixit's grandson was a bomber navigator, B sixty six bomber navigator. He gave me some coaching. So I started navigation flying. So I flew two hundred fifty hours. or nearly 25000 line kilometers for mineral surveys in various mineralized belts over india it was difficult job but uh, the odd thing was all for 400 rupees fixed and uh, then i told wing commander rao i want to get out of this he said no 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 you are doing very crucial job <laughs> so by the time what happened is we decided to wind up delhi office nrsa headquarters had come up in uh, hyderabad and when i came to hyderabad i got into regular aerial photo interpretation for geology and related aspects and we also procured one 11 channel bendix scanner before that we had a borrowed uh, c band radar you know sir c from canada we had tried it out so with bendix came in uh, the indo frg collaboration uh you know uh from free university berlin the geologists came with them we worked and all that so that was a great thrill but the significant part what i feel we did is flying in western ghats for mapping thermal springs a project for geological survey of india uh, that was too interesting it had only one thermal channel as uh, dr narayan prasad would know but prior to that we had a brief stint these russians had uh, given us one scanner analog thermal scanner called volcano volcano so we had tried with that but then uh, you know being analog it didn't give good results but working with uh, bendix was a great experience 
and working with uh, you know professor list and his associates from free university berlin they were just marvelous they used to participate in the field work also now what happened is we found that the bendix scanner was uh, uh, not all that adequate we wanted to buy one dedulus atm dedulus airborne thematic mapper which had two middle infrared two thermal infrared channels now professor davan told very good you can buy but then <laughs> you have to make somebody fund so marketing dedulus atm you know a, an airborne scanner technology was very difficult we targeted two people one was dr harinarayan who was chairman of ngc and was also director in gri another one is uh, dr tandon you know who was coal india chairman so that marketing job was left to me but fortunately i spoke some good english those days because my father had taken extra care to tutor me with one uh, bhashantra patmala and rendant martin grammar so so it was nice both of them agreed to fund the scanner isro never wanted to pay for that but they wanted to be treated as preferred users so if they have a request we have to honor but uh, since this is an informal kind of session what what i enjoyed most after making presentation to dr harinarayan is he said hey gade i have listened to you i have agreed to partially fund also so you should treat me with a good dinner so it was only me so we went to one hotel in hyderabad deccan continental he said let's have grilled fish and beer it was too good okay so <laughs> we got dedulus atm but uh, the most significant job we did with dedulus atm was uh, flying over the jeria and raniganj coal fields uh, basically i am sharing the first hand experiences of mine where planning to execution to interpretation i was involved uh, jeria raniganj coal fields have lot of uh, you know because of the high grade coking coal there is underground uh, fire and the valuable coal resource gets burnt so thermal sensing was the only way so we flew over those areas and uh, we sensed the thermal hotspots and uh, coal india took the quenching operations uh, it's it's probably one of the unique studies conducted in the world for mapping underground coal fires and quenching burning coal underground based on airborne uh, surveys airborne scanner surveys or thermal sensing now by this time uh, you know about 10 years of my career 75 to 85 86 were over but then by 1983 one of the most important things happened because you know you, we are all aware that uh, the ERTS1 earth resources technology satellite or landsat 1 went up in 1972 and nrsa was born for operational remote sensing in 1975 almost contemporary so we were getting the analog data 10 inch by 10 inch frame you know four blue green red and near infrared negatives they have to be registered made into a color composite it was only 80 meter resolution data so we were uh, comfortably using that and professor dhavan felt 
it is the time we should have the consensus from all the development sectors in the country that is national natural resources management system i don't know whether uh, uh, professor chandrashekar mentioned about it so we had a national seminar a unique event in hyderabad where all the secretaries of developmental departments participated and we had conducted a good number of uh, pilot studies they were presented to them so it was unanimously agreed that a virtual system called national natural resources management system would be launched in the country now what it meant is it is only a consensus by all the development departments under the chairmanship of deputy chairman planning commission government of india where planning commission should make some funds available to all the sectors you know agriculture rural development all these kinds of sectors for using remote sensing for national development and nnrms will have an apex you know planning committee of nnrms it will have some standing committees for each sector and the member secretaries of standing committee will be some isro guy and chairman of standing committee will be secretary to government of india of concerned sector okay we had about 8 or 9 and i had the good fortune of being member secretary to four of them so a uh, lot of interaction with delhi so what we basically proposed if i can summarize it a slightly uh, synthesized way basically suggest how remote sensing or satellite remote sensing can be used for developmental activities in a sector where approach would be clinical or based on clinical facts or symptomatic and arrive at or suggest some possible solutions but stay connected or stay addicted carry on so that went on for a long time i mean long time so uh during the 85 86 time frame as i said i have tried uh, narrating the first 10 years of my life till now of course in between i had uh, very interesting things i had a un fellowship in adelaide australia uh, where i studied interpreting airborne magnetic data so uh, i i must say that uh, those days uh, opportunities were plenty and they were uh, so good opportunities that they in a way tempted to switch over to the other side also see when i went to australia the offer was so open to stay back so and so also at later stages but somehow isro was also equally addictive you know uh, it was uh, very difficult for me to take a decision whether i should stick with isro or go back things like that so uh, then came when india Uh, you know after that bhaskara rohini all those when india wanted to embark on uh, regular operational remote sensing program of course as well as operational communication program because by that time as i told you national natural resources management system was there some communication ex- experiments were made so uh, it was time for india to get into the irs program indian remote sensing satellite series but prior to that using aerial data airborne scanner data landsat data satellite remote sensing means a landsat data it was so household 
So, uh, a program called IRSUP, IRS Utilization Program, was launched in association with concerned state or central user ministries. So, India being uh, basically a geological museum, because you find the oldest of the rock types, Archean II, the most recent. So, all geological sequences are preserved in this subcontinent. So, we picked up highest number of test sites, 12 test sites in 12 different geological terrains. That gave me an opportunity to traverse uh, length and breadth of India for ground truth, in the name of ground truth. A lot of time we used to spend in the field. So, an interesting thing I want to uh, tell you, because when I was appearing for my D2E, DPC, Departmental Promotion Committee, normally, you know, our mentors or bosses or deputy director level people would say, make a two-page summary and circulate it to members. I made one map. I, I just made one India map. I just plotted all the project areas where I have worked, where I have traversed, and where all I have conducted or I have flown for airborne geophysical surveys. I said, sir, this is enough. I made an index. He said, what is this funny thing? Nobody will understand. I said, sir, I will make them understand. I don't think there is any second person who has seen so much of India by foot. So I just went with it one drawing. Of course, it was merit promotion I got through. But uh, 1986 is a very interesting thing I wish to, I wish to mention because 86, 85, 86 were severe droughts in large part of India. You know, Maharashtra, Karnataka reeled under very, very bad drought. So 1986, uh, sometime beginning of summer, Professor Yuvar Rao, the then Chairman Nisro, was called by the then Minister for us, Mr. Shivraj Patil. See, do something to provide drinking water for villages in Maharashtra. I'll give you one month time. So suddenly we were all summoned, you know, few geologists from NRSA and SAC. Uh, we were summoned and uh, we said we will do it. See, what had happened is by that time, for any geologist, what made sense from satellite imagery is marking something, lineaments, you know, linear features, lines and lines and lines and crisscrossing lines. Every time you see the image, you feel like adding some more lines. But very quickly, within a week's time, we sat through, we devised a methodology, because I was also at the core, called hydrogeomorphological approach. See, what is most visible from either aerial photo, of course, aerial photo becomes too, too much in detail. If you see slightly at coarser level, the most striking feature that you see on any space-based image is landforms, you know, the larger terrain features. So we thought we will map all the landforms in geomorphological term. Because landforms are evolved, carved due to weathering agents, water, after the crest is formed, right? So if you see the magma, then comes lithography, then comes further up, further up, the weather layer, on that soil layer, then vegetation, then atmosphere. I mean, if you talk in sense of the broad sense of earth system science, the total thing is an integrated, it's a dynamic system. 
So map the landforms that is visible today, mostly hills, valleys, slopes, terrains and all that. And evaluate that landform for its groundwater content. So how do you do that? A landform you can describe in the form of what is the top cover, what is the soil type, what is the kind of runoff if precipitation happens because groundwater is nothing but the rainwater which has to go and stay. And what could be the porosity, permeability, whether the area is suitable for dug well or dug come bore well or shallow dug well or deep tube well. So we devised a methodology which is acceptable to everybody. We embarked upon, but then it was not possible for the state government people to make sense. So we accompanied them, we showed. But when you go to field, there were big issues, you know. If the serpent of a particular village is from an upper caste, he will say the bore well has to be in in front of my house because anybody and everybody can't touch that. But we had to convince them, look, this is out of government money, this is for everybody. So tens of thousands of bore wells were drilled in Maharashtra villages, which was followed by a similar approach for Karnataka. Now, this was a precursor. And let me also tell you the funny thing. We were not able to go home and take bath also. Quite a few of us grew beard. Okay. So I also had no time to shave. 1986 when we were working day and night for providing drinking water in the villages, I grew beard. After that, I never shaved. I retained it. Okay. So then came, uh, you must have heard about the five technology missions which India had launched. Because Sam Pitroda was the advisor and drinking water was also one of them. It, it was, you know, telecom where CDOT technology came, literacy, vaccination or immunization, then drinking water. So national drinking water mission was launched and we had the approach, we had success rate, we had proven everything. So uh, we took countrywide mapping. Then subsequently during uh, Bajpai's time, they wanted the groundwater recharge also to be ensured. So identifying recharge structure. But then we had to solve problems for arsenic contamination, fluoride, iron removal. So all agencies came in and it was a great, great national moment. Because these are the kind of projects which made India a leader in remote sensing applications. So... Uh, and uh, one of the key things under uh, NNRMS, National Natural Resource Management System, was also to ensure that all the states will set up their own remote sensing application centers. So the first one was Uttar Pradesh. There was one Professor Chaturvedi from Roorkee. Uh, he, he struggled to establish the first one. There was no entry for anybody. So the second one was Maharashtra. I tried going, but they said, you are a bit junior. So a senior colleague of mine joined. The third was Andhra Pradesh. I applied again. Hegde, you make a very good candidate, but the problem is the notings in state government have to be in Telugu. You don't know Telugu. Go on. Fourth was Karnataka. 
there were 12 13 people i applied i got it because i could write kannada and uh, okay i was fairly good enough so 89 middle to 91 middle i was the founder director of the karnataka state remote sensing center and we did a lot of interesting projects but one of the most significant project we did again in one month is alignment of bangalore outer ring road see it was a 62 kilometer kind of ring road in three stretches they were not able to implement because wherever they try to align people will make some huts and create record that that hut is there for several years and uh, bangalore development authority could never acquire that land so within one month you should be able to tell what is there in the corridor and what is created overnight and also they wanted to give the broad alignment itself so in fact uh, it was so interesting i didn't know anything about highway alignment so i went to tata institute and believe me you're you're all aware internet was not there today you can google and find a lot of things so i took one civilization book how to how to align road you know okay line of sight you should be able to see as far as possible it should be straight and uh, you know ups and downs should be minimum curve should be minimum all such basic facts so we did the alignment uh, for bangalore ring road i led the team and it was a highly satisfying project and that time it was a trend setter project in india uh, several newspapers several local national all quoted that and uh, bda acquired and there was a great uh, sidekick out of that see isro employees had made one housing society about 100 acres and 1000 sites bda was not clearing it because there were a lot of lacuna because isro people think that they know everything and they planned the layout the, the way they want but he said hegde why don't you help us i said that goodwill i created by aligning the ring road was good enough for bda to clear that whole site layout overnight so of course these guys facilitated felicitated me only with bouquet and all but never gave me a free site okay so that is all the uh, funny story but then uh, but what happened is two by two years i was a bit tired in state government because work culture in state is very different it is very slow uh, i must tell you one uh, very funny thing see i had some Uh, optical equipments to analyze remote sensing data i had set up the center in a dusty place i wanted a vacuum cleaner heavy duty now heavy duty vacuum cleaner for a remote sensing lab they never understood the file went up and down i mean briefly i have to mention the difficulties of working in indian system then somebody told me refer that matter to kgcc karnataka government computer center who are the ones to advise on how to maintain computer system equipments and all he was a good friend of mine director i thought he will simply say yes and send it instead he called and shouted at me kgcc karnataka government computer center is meant for guiding government departments to buy computers not vacuum cleaners uh, see but then uh, how will you break your head i mean these were certain odd things so i got tired i went back i went and talked to professor Rao, 
सर आई वॉन्ट टू गेट बैक ओके कम बैक सर आफ्टर माई टू ईयर्स टर्म वॉज ओवर आई वेंट बैक टू हैदराबाद डे आफ्टर अ वीक आई वॉट ए कॉल हेगडे आई थिंक यू फॉरगॉट वॉट आई टोल्ड यू सर यू हैड टोल्ड मी कम बैक आई टोल्ड यू टू कम बैक ना बट यू हैव गॉन बैक बेटर कम बैक सो वंस अगेन यू नो शिफ्टिंग माई सन स्कूल एंड डिफिकल्ट बट आई केम बैक नाउ कमिंग बैक वॉज सिग्निफिकेंट बिकॉज द रियो अर्थ समिट हैड जस्ट हैपन्ड एंड प्रोफेसर राव वॉन्टेड टू इनिशिएट ए प्रोग्राम on sustainable development uh, of watersheds okay watershed means you know a given area from where the water drains out of a single point because morphologically watershed is considered as the smallest development unit for natural resources of course which is anyway it's not a valid approach today and uh, whatever it is so sustainable development we wanted to launch in all the critical districts of india nearly 175 districts out of uh, 600 districts of the country were taken up and uh, i was also fortunate to be a thick part of making presentation to dr pranab mukherjee who was uh, deputy chairman planning commission and uh, we also had to convince the, the then prime minister pv narsimha rao because it was a unique project of its kind and we launched it there again same thing we mapped all the different natural resources available uh, or natural resources as they stood in a given district or a given watershed and deduce local specific action plans means in terms of this parcel of land requires soil conservation this parcel of land is good enough for growing fodder that patch of land is good for growing little agriculture horticulture or agro horticulture or agro uh, uh, whatever you know multi crop or whatever depending on slope uh, the water availability the soil characteristics the underlying weathered column various things okay and also the consumption pattern so we integrated socio economic data as well you know what is the livelihood of the people living in the watersheds and all that but uh, subsequently i once argued with professor rao uh, this concept is not uh, correct because a watershed can never be made sustainable he was not comfortable then i told him that uh, you know there is lot of iron ore mining that goes on in kudremukh or western ghats of india it causes environmental degradation in western ghats of india but economic prosperity happens either in iran or japan right so today sustainability the moment you bring in socio economic aspects is tradable across continents also today in south india people eat wheat okay or i mean uh, so its sustainability is linked to many things today i mean uh, okay the gross productivity the consumption pattern the requirement i mean everything comes in okay so anyway that was a great project at that point of time 
uh, and uh, when we took up various projects uh, subsequently i was also project director for one hilly district you know nilgiris nilgiris had a big issue you know it's a nice green district but then it is extremely important for slope based zonation of land use say 0 to 10 degree slope is good for uh, vegetable growing or horticulture in that area and say 10 to 30 degree it should be mixed but mostly it is steep plantation there above 30 degrees it should be necessarily forest but today i don't know you must have many of you must have gone to uti or wherever from valley till top you know they have gone for plantation through ages but the valleys will get affected by frostbite the middle slopes will go and lot of landslides lot of degradation so uh, we adopted something in line with the usda classification uh, united states department of agriculture classification for slope based zonation of land use it was a great success story i must mention with lot of pride because after that planning commission increased allocation to nilgiris district and also told such approach should be adopted to every hill district of the country and in the process nilgiris became the first district in the country to have their own remote sensing cell the district remote sensing cell uh so uh, i mean uh, another very uh important thing i wish to recall is see when i was in karnataka karnataka government was giving uh, license to lot of polluting industries say distilleries you know mostly and who see molasses based distilleries who end up discharging a uh, lot of effluent with high biochemical oxygen demand bod content into the system now that is not only rich with lignin and caramel color but it is also a great pollutant you know with high bod content so i had told karnataka government the pollution control people satellite imagery helps you in understanding the groundwater regime in that area where you want to discharge effluent see you may discharge for irrigation it's a good manure but then it spoils groundwater you know borewell water will come out with coca cola color so uh, we did a lot of projects to understand the possibility of pollution due to uh, this kind of effluent discharge and uh, subsequently it triggered grew into a huge project national river action plan yamuna river action plan ganga river action plan you know gap yap so we really scaled up scaled up scaled up to national level and uh, in you must be aware under the national river action plan of government of india what they did is along the river banks say whether it is ganga or yamuna or whatever all the polluting industries whether tanneries or other polluting industries which are those points where the pollutant enters the river so catch hold of them and make those industries treat you know na- national environment ses and all you must have heard uh, it came out subsequently of course india took the help of uh, 
French government and all for Yamuna River action plan. But uh, I mean, Ganges, Indus, Godavari, Krishna, almost all major rivers adopted this strategy. But then everything starts in a small way. Okay, we have to we have to start somewhere. Like uh, you know, the urban infrastructure projects, which my other colleagues worked. I am focusing on basically uh, what uh, uh, what I did directly. I was involved. Then, uh, in the same uh, in the same time, another uh, very interesting things, you know, because India is also a highly disaster-prone country, you know. Uh, I wish to mention about just a couple of projects. One thing is when uh, when uh, the Kosi uh, River uh, breach happened, you know. See, it was a barrage which breached in Nepal region. So uh, suddenly the inflow into the Son River Basin, Kosi, increased, and uh, and we didn't know the cause. Okay, so satellite image indicated that uh, there is probably a breach which is dangerous. So they were not, uh, uh, we approached uh, through Ministry of External Affairs, uh, Nepal government. They, they said, no, we won't give you permission to overfly our area. Uh, we had an airborne synthetic aperture at RC band. But uh, they, it's, a, it's a big procedure, you know, we couldn't take so long. And uh, I don't know if uh, you people have seen the uh, satellite picture of Indo-Gangetic alluvial plain, especially, you know, Son, Kosi, Gagra, Gandak, Kosi, King Kosi, Son, further up. It is also tectonically active area. So one thing is the terrain is flat. It is mature terrain. In geological terms or geomorphological terms, we call it as the terrain which has reached base level of erosion. So a river cannot erode that terrain anymore. Then what happens? River starts swinging. Now when the river starts swinging, it would have meandered. Some of the meanders will be cut off. Some oxbow kind lakes will be formed and all that. But if this kind of terrain is further triggered from underground neotectonic activity, the rivers swing like pendulum. Okay. So when a breach has happened upstream, all the earlier streams which are not active today, we call it as ephemeral streams, will get flooded with water. And just imagine about 500,000, 5 lakh people were to be evacuated. But to understand the seriousness of the seriousness of the problem. By the time I was director of the disaster management project in ISRO, so we flew, we flew with airborne radar, C-band radar, because radar looks sideways now, 42 degree off. So we flew along the border, but we looked at the other side in Nepal. We understood the breach is really serious. Then we acquired, of course, high resolution satellite images. We understood the nature of breach. But the beauty is, Mr. Lalu Prasad Yadav was the chief minister. With great difficulty, we convinced them, matter is extremely serious. You have to evacuate people from all these villages. And they successfully evacuated. 
where 5 lakh people would have been in trouble casualties or even uh, death of livestock was bare minimum and another interesting story of the kind is parichu lake have you heard about it i don't know see uh, it is a lake in the tibet region uh, occupied by china same thing one one uh, day suddenly the naftha jakri power plant which is down below in india the satluj basin they call that you know dirty water is entering the turbine we have to shut down the power plant we didn't know we took the satellite image you know irs wide field uh, sensor image wifs image as we call and we found that there is a small glacial lake which has burst you know due to landslide glacial lake had blocked actually a glacial lake was formed such lakes keep forming but that was breaching and suddenly you know naftha jakri power plant got dirty waters muddy waters okay that was in a way shut down but then we had to monitor that and approach foreign ministry they discussed with the counterparts in china china said you guys don't come we will breach it in a controlled manner so uh, we not only saved people down the line we saved back naftha jakri power plant also and uh, you see i mean uh, the this is called you know the remote sensing based uh, diplomacy and which uh, did good for india and the chinese authorities chinese experts breached it in a controlled manner so now routinely we monitor all the glacial lakes in the upstream i mean nrc does it operationally so uh, i mean uh, a lot of uh, interesting things of this type i i would like to mention just two more anecdotes as we moved down the line because i was more into more glued to applications earth observation and uh, and which are more societal in nature so we we by the time my colleagues had also uh, i mean they they also did marvelous projects one of the wonderful projects we did is the biodiversity characterization of uh, the entire you know western ghats eastern ghats and island territory and himalayan region which of course my colleagues did i was only coordinating because i was in headquarters i was the deputy director in charge of applications in uh, the program office and uh, you may be aware that uh, during uh, the earlier regime of nda when prime minister bajpai was there mr murli manohar joshi was the minister for science and technology they had started something called jai vigyan national technology mission so under that they had a special consideration for island territory also i was working in uh, andaman nicobar islands uh, basically uh, creating an information base setting up a geospatial database and also see how best we can help the island people andaman nicobar islands you know so uh, one mr nn jha nagendranath jha a foreign service person i think his last posting was ambassador in sri lanka he was the lieutenant governor there so when we were discussing and anybody goes from uh, mainland you know uh, I, i must also tell you uh, when we went to northeast the chief engineer 
we are having some discussion with chief engineer he will immediately call send the executive engineer superintending engineer some scientists from india have come in manipur okay those who go from mainland are from india <laughs> they, they are northeast so uh, andaman was not so bad so mr endenja told me a very interesting story he said uh, see mr hegde we have only one referral hospital here there are some doctors but they are not specialists we have an arrangement with kolkata uh, kochi and uh, and some two three hospitals na chennai shri ramachandra see any critic any patient of the island needing uh, critical health care andaman administration gives them 1 lakh now only criteria is he has to have a ration card means really resident of islands now he said uh, see there is only one flight per day and sometimes it is a stretcher patient they say sitting patient and stretcher patient that is the language they use we have to remove eight seats in the aircraft and eight people will be offloaded and they don't know when they will be able to fly back so is there anything you guys can do by the time i had heard of telemedicine i said we will do telemedicine uh, very good we will do telemedicine so uh, so we set up some telemedicine facilities basically we sat based low bitrate connectivity wherein a specialist doctor could have video conferencing with the patient along with the local doctor or local healthcare worker and give some prescription and medical records could be transmitted live across so that uh, that is available to the specialist doctor i mean a very simple way so starting with uh, andaman nicobar islands which was uh, inaugurated by none other than the then prime minister of india i i must proudly say that it was my project and subsequently we scaled it up we scaled it up so much that uh, at one point of time we were the largest satellite based telemedicine network in the world with about 370 nodes where about 60 super specialty hospitals whether you say tata memorial cancer research hospital or fortis or whatever in all hospitals and then we took it down to states you know karnataka chatisgarh several states you know under the the united nations aided health system development project some states got big funds also but everywhere we made sure that the respective chief ministers inaugurate in karnataka sm krishna inaugurated chatisgarh ajit jogi like that you know it was a big fun again and uh, you know i i enjoy traveling meeting these people you know whether politicians or bureaucrats always sportive now this uh, telemedicine subsequently what happened is the the regular telephone line bsnl they also started so called broadband so when broadband connectivity came in of course we we have been giving uh, satellite bandwidth uh, free of cost for uh, societal causes Uh, uh i mean at the, at the apex the best time we had put about eight transponders of 36 megahertz each for societal use on which 
the telemedicine, tele-education and village resource centers programs were running. I, I'll come to village resource centers. So uh, now telemedicine is continuing in uh, say uh, the border areas. Our defense uh, telemedicine network is the largest now, a lot of military hospitals and they also extend healthcare. The military hospitals in border areas extend healthcare to the localites also there. Uh, they don't differentiate any poor fellow walking in the street. So there, and uh, and Dr. Kalam wanted that uh, we help uh, Afghanistan, we help Africa with telemedicine. Uh, it all proliferated, but my different colleagues took care of it. And uh, another fallout of this is uh, when uh, the National Disaster Management Authority came in because of, uh, you know, Latur, earthquake, the Kutch earthquake. And uh, I am sure that everyone is aware that uh, after the uh, Kobe earthquake, the Sendai framework and almost concurrently was the, uh, the New York Earth Summit, you know, Rio plus 10, Rio plus 20, Rio plus 10 probably, everything got aligned, you know. The, the sustainable development mooted by UN during the Rio summit, further refined during the New York uh, convention, got merged with the Sendai framework. And uh, at the international level, the sustainable development goals also engulfed the mainstreaming of the disaster risk reduction or mitigation. So with that, uh, India also, India has been extremely responsive. So they started the National Disaster Management Authority with uh, General Wiz as the chairman. So we set up a separate database for them. And uh, we set up uh, several disaster control rooms, you know, the India Meteorological Department, Geological Survey, Central Water Commission, Central Water Commission for floods, Geological Survey for earthquake, landslide, and uh, somebody else for forest fire. I mean, all these uh, national control rooms, including PMO and Cabinet Secretariat, we connected with the state disaster control rooms, again, as a societal projects where we gave satellite bandwidth free, we set up the facility free. And of course, as the time moved, they have done the right thing. They have switched over to either fiber, optical fiber, or other broadband means and VSAT is also there as redundancy. Around this time, there was a great demand to reach out to villages with connectivity also. So we set up village resource centers. You know, we had uh, 470 plus village resource centers with, we worked with 40 NGOs, 4-0, and we connected, uh, we gave a connectivity to a lot of, lot of uh, villages in 22 states and all the islands. That was a unique project. And uh, I mean, therein I slowly got into the communication application side also, uh, wherein uh, there were a lot of new technologies, you know, a, a WLL or a small VSAT working as a Wi-Fi hub. Along the Wi-Fi hub, you can have hundreds of connectivities going down and a lot of mobile vans carrying knowledge as well as healthcare facilities to villages. In fact, uh, 
uh, we are all aware that even during this uh, recent corona pandemic this technology worked very well one of the most successful uh, stories comes from uh, malaysia where some thaicom capacity was used to drop a local wifi hub and around which go and track all corona affected patients and uh, give them treatment or give them vaccine and then and there online you upload so a beautiful uh, i mean these are all in the uh, public uh, domain today uh i think i covered a lot of interesting things but one or two i also have really uh some regret that you know one of the one of the great blueprints we had tried to make was uh, you know it was uh, during prime minister bajpai's time interlinking of rivers you know country had launched uh, on golden quadrilateral north south east west highways and also there was a great project for interlinking of rivers so that the excess water flood water gets diverted to you know some other rivers so that flood is avoided in certain regions and certain dry areas get water and en route lot of buried tanks and all will be desilted filled and it's a great project but i i wish someday india embarks on that uh, see within the country rivers could be nationalized because there are a lot of disputes a controversial topic i don't want to talk much but then it was a great uh, visionary plan of government but my take on the whole story was uh, to gain consensus how remote sensing could help i had the good opportunity of alone single handedly making presentation to manmohan singh who was opposition leader then pranab mukherjee and uh, and you know a lot of big leaders and also to dr kalam who was the sitting president and to all the industry tycoons like tata sambanis for that was in taj hotel in mumbai so uh, really to gain consensus how effectively remote sensing can help in planning implementation and monitoring so uh, i mean i okay doing background work is one thing but uh, to go and make presentation to all these people is different so that way i was uh, fortunate i think maybe i'll take uh, the last 5 minutes of my uh, interaction in this uh of course uh, i mean uh, 10 years ago i was uh, director for the earth observation program disaster management support program and the lead for focused societal applications in 13 states and uts in the country all through regular official arrangements and uh, with all these uh, i also uh, got into little program management side more formally as scientific secretary isro you know who takes care of uh, overall program budget manpower and a bit of administrative activities and more than anything else the main interface with delhi on parliament matters and all that and in that position i also had good opportunity of uh, uh, going to un office of outer space unosa you know yearly twice as a delegation 
and uh, i had the good fortune of uh, becoming uh, elected vice president so elected vice president of international astronautical federation for two terms and uh, i also had the good time of uh, you know one of the founder members of mooting the sentinel asia project which was jaxa mooted you know sharing database for the asia pacific region i mean lot of opportunities came my way i mean as a geologist uh, definitely isro was indeed great and isro is uh, working atmosphere in isro of course of late it turned a bit bureaucratic uh, which uh, normally happens with uh, the organization aging but still isro has been really infectious as far as i am concerned but then i thought uh sometime before i call it a day i must get into some executive position so there was only one uh, very difficult option or position available because uh, the entrix corporation isro's commercial arm okay it had run through a little difficult time but uh, there was an opening i accepted to go as chairman and managing director of entrix in 2011 after all this stint because from regular isro i wanted to have a taste of being an executive though it is it is isro's uh, commercial arm but uh, it was uh, wonderful for me to get exposed to judiciary legal system coordinating and being tightly put about everything because in isro we all speak hell of a lot so <laughs> i got into a position where you have to be tight lipped but you have to market but uh, it was uh, i mean uh, business wise it was a great time you know that is where i interacted with uh, or dr narayan prasad was forthcoming interacted quite a lot with us uh, but uh, we could have done better out of it because he was coming with lot of technologies miniaturized space system subsystems but isro believed in only big satellites even today we believe in something looking big uh, so what happened is uh, during my time in entrex uh, we were able to market the ocean color data to two european countries two customers uk as well as uh, uh, euromap gaf in germany uh, we could uh, market our c band radar data to kesat norway and the most satisfying thing has been uh, amidst difficult times we could start one new vertical because there was a great demand for launching small satellites so that vertical i started see today uh, during my time i signed agreements with uh, say 21 countries launched little less than 100 satellites but when i was cmd sitting there but subsequently i think uh, i had concluded contracts for about 250 satellites or so today the score is nearly 350 satellites from 32 countries and it is all of course all credit goes to pslv the versatility but a uh, lot of changes have come in that segment because we used to patch wherever it is possible within the payload fairing volume but today there are beautiful dispensers you throw the dispenser out rest is taken care so uh, i think i i left uh, my active life in isro with a great great satisfaction that uh, entrix 
amidst difficult times i could take the company's revenue from 1000 to 2000 crores we once again uh, branded or rebranded entrix see if you are aware at one point of time entrix was known globally for irs ground stations indian remote sensing satellite ground stations with we had done it with uh, a business partner eosat of us then uh, we came out of that we we came out of the exclusivity we started marketing remote sensing data ourselves but right now there is a depletion of uh, the space assets in that segment but the launch service is going great guns we still have a lot of active contracts and uh, uh, and uh, that's it but of course i could have stayed probably one more year but then i thought enough but uh, after my retirement i continued another 4 years as advisor and cumulatively i ended up working 45 years and 2 months in isro so uh, you if somebody says you know you had a long career in isro i always say i had long life in isro it's not career for me it's life so uh, i mean uh, i must say that as a geologist the kind of opportunities isro gave me are unbelievable and uh, life is tough of course see if you if you have to be if you have to be active if you have to be in limelight if you want an identity it is a, it is a lot of struggle but uh, it was worth it i had great time because okay going to be 70 soon but uh, living without any ailments and still i am able to recall a lot of things and speak I think credit goes to Isro not to me. Good day. Thank you so much. It has been great interaction. Thank you for listening in to this episode of the New Space India podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share this episode with anyone you believe will enjoy listening to it. You'll be able to find the New Space India podcast in any of the podcasting platforms that you may be using. including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube and others. Do subscribe to the podcast in case you want to receive new episodes automatically. I'm grateful if you're able to leave a rating for the podcast which will help others discover it. Thank you for listening in again and the next episode will be out in the next 2 weeks as usual.